Greetings and welcome back to the Ideas Podcast. I'm Daniel Lazar, the co-founder of and the faculty advisor to the John F. Kennedy School's Ideas Club. We want to thank all of you for your kind words about our episode commemorating the life of Martin Luther King Jr. While that episode didn't particularly problematize King, we thought that in our age of perpetual problems, we could seize a moment to pay our respects and perhaps even be a bit reverent of the good reverend. But today we seek to seize the moment to explore what the end of the Trump administration, though perhaps not the end of the Trump era, means to us. Or, to put a more positive spin on it, what the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden Jr. means to the Ideas leadership team, and what we think this historic moment means for the values of the Ideas community. Now, it should be duly noted that the Ideas leadership team does not speak for the Ideas Club, and the Ideas Club surely cannot and does not speak for the Kennedy School. But we can say that several members of the Ideas Club did weigh in to what the inauguration of Biden means to them in the previous episode of this podcast. You know, we might just reference that episode, and so we strongly urge you, both for that reason and because it's kind of an awesome episode, to give it a listen. We'd also like to urge you to subscribe to this podcast. we got a lot of cool plans on the horizon, and we want you to be in the loop. So subscribe. Pretty please, with sugar on top. It would mean a lot to us. And while we're urging you to do stuff, we also urge you to give a listen to a podcast in our beloved podcast network, Bear Radio. Busy Being Black is a growing collection of queer black voices. Hosted by Josh Rivers, this podcast serves as an oral history project through conversations with those who have learned, and who are still learning, to thrive at the intersections of their identities. If you dig ideas, you'll surely dig Busy Being Black. But before you change the channel and dive into Busy Being Black, let's dive into what the Biden inauguration means to our four esteemed panelists. Joining us on the Ideas Podcast today, as always, is our esteemed podcast and journal boss, Lily Walker. Hi, Lily. How you doing? I'm good. It's great to have you. And the fearless director of the Ideas team, Jacob Reuter. Hey, Jacob. Hey, how are you? I am wonderful, and I'm happy to see you, and I'm happy to see Hannah Cook. What's up, Hannah Cook? Not much. I'm excited for this episode. And we're excited to have you. And today, we have a special guest panelist making her debut on the Ideas podcast Bella Winger. Hey, Bella, how's it going? It's going well. Glad to hear it. All right, you four, maybe we start here. What does the inauguration of Joseph R. Biden Jr. mean to you? I mean, it's a hard question. I guess my f- the feeling I had when I was watching the inauguration was really that it felt like a return to normalcy. I think Bella mentioned this actually in last week's episode. We've all come of age in a time where the political situation in America was just fundamentally abnormal. And it's been really stressful and ultimately kind of disastrous. And I'm almost used to it. 
So it was just very odd, somewhat refreshing, and it felt like things were falling into place, I guess. I mean, kind of building off of that, I think one thing that we've sort of gotten used to, and one thing that I hope that uh, the Biden administration will sort of prevent or stop, uh, is the uh, America serving as the laughingstock of the world. Now, I'm no patriot. However, I do believe that having the strongest democracy in the world be a laughingstock and being pointed and laughed at by uh, the nations of essentially the entire world um, and having a world leader who is making diplomatic mistakes and then sort of bumbling his way through diplomacy, I think having that be removed from the equation is very much a good thing for democracy internationally. What it means to me specifically is that I think a return to having America as sort of the flagship of democracy, that's sort of that's sort of what I'm hoping Joe Biden will restore. Piggybacking off of everything that had just been said, it's the first time I'm fully aware and experiencing a Democratic president. I was alive when Obama was president, but I wasn't really aware of politics at the time. And I look forward to seeing politics actually working. And while I'm also not a big patriot, I always felt a sense of secondhand embarrassment or shame whenever Trump opened his mouth. So I really look forward to now agreeing with and respecting what our president and what the Biden administration has to say. I can only agree with what has been said so far. I mean, to me, it's the beginning of a new and better chapter of American history and hope for the United States. Well put, all of you. Now look, while inaugural ceremonies are largely symbolic, symbols are important. And the last four years have reminded us that symbols really do matter in politics, domestically and internationally. As I dived into on the previous podcast, I was deeply moved by the inauguration. Can I ask how, if at all, you all were moved or unmoved by the inauguration ceremonies? Yeah, so um, Hannah, Lily, and I actually watched the uh, inauguration together. Um, And I just remember it being such a strange moment to see these politicians acting uh, with decorum um, and and like being reserved. Even Mike Pence standing there shaking Obama's hand. These are like things that that are unheard of in the last four years. These sort of diplomatic exchanges between Democrats and Republicans um, is something that's that's sort of been missing in the past four years. And that it was sort of moving to see like the American institutions are still alive. Adding on to that as well is what we were all expecting going into this is that we would have a repeat of the Capitol riots and we were fearing violence. We were, what's going to happen? It's the inauguration, right? This is a big thing. And the fact that nothing happened was also like reinforcing my idea that maybe we are getting out of this dark age of pathological nationalism and this fanatic obsession with this personality cult that Trump has established. Um, So really it was, it was a sign of hope for me. I, was deeply moved by the inauguration. I mean, I cried. My entire family cried. As I mentioned in the episode before this, I'm, it was a breath of deep air and one that I hadn't had in four years. And I think everything leading up to when it finally turned noon still felt uncertain. And I think it was a breath of security and relief Lily, did you feel that same sense of security and relief? Was it a breath of fresh air? Yes, in a sense. 
I don't know if I felt that way about the inauguration proceedings themselves as much as the idea of Biden being president. In general, I find a little bit of comedy in the inauguration ceremonies, like Biden with that stuffy old Bible that looks three inches thick. I, I just, I mean, I respect the institutions, but all of the, the speeches and things, I mean, some of them were really beautiful, like the, the poet who spoke, I don't remember her name. Amanda Gorman. Like Amanda Gorman, when she spoke, I think her poetry was beautiful. And I actually, one particular inauguration proceeding that I found really interesting and sort of meaningful was not actually, you know, at the Houses of Congress, but afterward when they went to the National Cemetery. My dad mentioned to me that, you know, these other rituals that the president goes through of saluting the military and, and you know, standing at the tomb of the unknown soldier are very important because they instill a sense of respect. The president has so much power in the United States and has to look right in the face of the people whose lives are in his hands. And I guess I found that really meaningful. So I understand the need for the symbolism and I understand how they're helpful to the American people like Bella mentioned, but also how they mean a lot and hopefully have a big effect on the president. If I may, I'd like to ask a pointed question about the inauguration before we move on. You all have come of age in an era where key leaders in elite American politics have engaged in what some have described as a race to the bottom when it comes to the deployment of useful, let alone unifying, language. And you had the opportunity to bear witness to what I can't help but describe as really powerful speeches, on top of which we had Garth Brooks and Lady Gaga and J-Lo, you know, representing sort of almost archetypes of different subsections of the American electorate. Did that symbolism have a substantial effect on you or was it just so transparent and so on the nose that you're like, oh, there's J-Lo for the Latinx vote and there's Garth Brooks because Joe Biden wants to reach out to good old country boys and girls and here's Klobuchar with her soaring platitudes or did it land with you? I really want to know how young people react to symbolic politics in an age of cynicism. I think what stood out the most to me and what was a very emotional moment for me was probably when JLo started speaking Spanish during her performance, just on, you know, a couple words, a line or something. I didn't actually understand it, but I thought that was so powerful and it was so great to hear that. And that already just kind of gave me the sense of, you know, diversity is going to be embraced now. And it's not just, you know, you want this English and you want to, it just, it was a beautiful moment. I agree with what Hannah said, and I wouldn't have wanted it any other way, but I wouldn't say it resonated with me as intensely. I did immediately feel the sort of strategy behind it, and whether or not it was still an important move and it was important to have that representation, and I would never suggest anything but it, but I will say that it didn't resonate with me as much as I would have liked. So, Bella, you weren't here to record this, but surely you listened to it. Shortly after Biden won the election, 
we at the Ideas Podcast launched an episode about the so-called Settle for Biden movement. And I wonder for all of you, how, if at all, have you come to settle for Biden? Have you settled for Biden? Is it hard to settle for Biden? I know that some of you err towards, let's say, the more progressive wing of the party. I know that so-called settling for Biden wasn't easy for all of you, although given the circumstances, I don't know, maybe you did settle. Where are y'all at with that now? Has it changed? No one, yes. Sort of uh, in between. So it's it stayed the same in the sense that I fully support Joe Biden. I, I believe he would he he's going to make a good president. He's a competent politician. I think he he has plans. He's going to see them through. He's going to do the whole president Democrat thing that we haven't seen for four years, but that usually ends up happening. Um, the reason I say no and yes is because I do believe that we can start criti- finally criticizing Joe Biden, which is something I felt uh, ashamed of when doing before the election, because, you know, if you criticize Joe Biden, you're indirectly supporting Trump. But now that he's president, I feel way more comfortable criticizing Biden on some of his key policy gaps and um, and my reservations about his character as a whole, I think. So in that sense, I will, I like, I will be more critical of Biden. I will be examining him, like his actions, uh, less charitably as I did prior to the election. However, I do still support him. And I do still think that overall, these are going to be a good four years. Biden has always seemed to me like a great compromiser for better or for worse when it comes to policy, Um, really values harmony. And I hope that that really comes to fruition in his presidency. I'm not 100% convinced that a Democrat who's willing to compromise about anything and everything is ideal as a, as an executive as much as, as a legislator. But, you know, I'm keeping an open mind on Joe Biden, obviously. Right now I'm accepting of him, perhaps just because it's a relief. Totally settled for Biden. If he starts, like Jacob said, doing more things that I disagree with, then my opinion will certainly evolve. I, I, I'm not really conflicted about it. He's had a couple of days so far and he's done a lot of good already, I think. So building on what you're saying, Lily, in his inaugural, Joseph R. Biden Jr. proposed his hope to be the president for all Americans, right? He wants to be that compromiser. He wants to lead the country. He doesn't want to just cater to his base as he perceives his predecessor did. And I'm sure that you're hopeful that he can succeed in that. But I wonder if you could walk me through your most hopeful and your most cynical reactions to Biden's proposal to be the president for all Americans. Is that even possible? I just, I mean, how can you be a president for a bunch of people who are dead set on the idea that you stole an election, which you didn't steal? Like, there's no evidence to support it. I just, I mean, I think he'll have a very hard time convincing half of the American electorate that he is their president, regardless of what he does. I think he could do the greatest things ever. And I don't know how much we can hold it against him because it's not his fault. I don't think it's a fool's errand. I think he very much should aim to be president for all Americans. But fact is, is that all Americans do not agree on the same things. And there is no way for him to be able to represent all politics of all Americans. And as Lily already said, 
I don't know how successful he can be in that, but I think it is important that he tries to build a bridge between himself and Americans that oppose him and voted against him. I think that effort needs to be made and it wasn't made in the last four years and it needs to be made. Whether or not it works, it can't be neglected. I would agree with one caveat. I will accept this whole work, like building bridges and working with the Republicans and then more conservative-leaning people. I totally get that. I think that's important. I agree with Bella. However, I will sort of reserve my judgment on his decision to be the great uniter until I see how much he actually kowtows to the right. Because when he starts making major concessions to get Senate and, and House Republicans on his side, or when he starts to trying to get the Republican electorate on his side by making more and more concessions to the Republicans, who I think we've established are sort of going off the rails with Trump right now, I think that's also worrying. Because I don't, I do want a strong president. I do want a strong Joe Biden, um, and I want him to be secure in his identity as a Democrat and as someone who's center, maybe even left of center. If he moves too far in order to sort of appease this growing radical wing of the of the Republican Party, uh, I think that could be really dangerous, and we could be slipping into some uncomfortable territories there. Right. That's what I mean. I think it'd be nice, but I don't, I mean, how far do you have to go for Republicans to agree with you if they're, if, if they're, you know, big Trump supporter Republicans? It seems to me that the X factor in the decision-making matrix that you are all trying to walk through, if one can walk through the matrix, I think there's a movie about that, but the X factor is the crisis, the COVID crisis in particular. But couldn't you see a world where Biden and his team can pivot towards reasonable compromise as a means to, at first and at the very least, begin to solve the COVID crisis? I would hope that this pandemic would have the ability to unite Americans, but I don't necessarily feel certain in the fact that that can be done because I think issues of public health and common good have been politicized even though they shouldn't be and now we find ourselves in a country where people can't agree on things as simple as public health and I don't know if we can get all Americans to see eye to eye and we would think that every American wants to defeat this virus and to contain it, but there's still people who don't believe in it and people who don't want to wear masks and don't understand the urgency of it. And I don't know how much we can get things to change. Yeah. I think I would even go one step further to saying I really have almost zero hope that Corona is something that's going to unite the States. I think it's something that's going to tear it further apart. You see just how, dedicated some Americans are to their beliefs and their in their rights and COVID restrictions and mandates implemented don't infringe upon your rights. They're for the common good and for the public health. But I think you see the trend that a lot of people don't believe this. They're so like all about themselves and so selfish. And I think that's really difficult, especially in the US, which is so large and Corona's affect states differently. I think that's going to be so difficult for the federal government to try and kind of coordinate with the local governments of each state. The reason I have a bit more hope is because I think what 
you know, you know, Obama always gets criticized for not really getting anything done. Um, but I think Biden is different because Biden, not only do the Democrats control House and Senate, which is, by the way, mind boggling. Um, I had no hope for the Georgia election and I'm very happy about that. But not only do Democrats control House and Senate, there is also some really, really competent legislators in the, both of those houses. And I think with them on his side, Joe Biden can absolutely start taking steps uh, to sort of get Americans on board with these preventative measures. Now, will this will this happen instantly? No. Will this be a uniting factor for all? No, probably not. Um, there will still be people uh, going mental and you know denying uh, denying science. However, I do believe that sort of a strict government position, where it's like this is this is the government the government's position. Um, this is what we believe. This is the policies we're going to do to fix the situation. At least, for in, for example, in Germany, like policies like that really helped getting people behind this push uh, to be more aware of public health. And I think in the U.S., if we have more effective legislation and more consistent politicians, which I can see a possibility being uh, in the next four years, then yeah, I think it could the outcome could be a lot more positive than maybe we're predicting here. Yeah, but the purview of this podcast and the purview of this group is issues of identity, diversity, empathy, awareness, and service. And so I would love to hear a couple of you talk about the degree to which you believe that the Biden team can help to move our agenda forward, the ideas agenda forward. I touched on this in the episode before, and I just strongly believe that for any of the ideas values to be carried throughout these next four years, it is of utmost importance that every single person who is a part of appointed to this administration deeply believes in them. And I think that sets the stage for however they will be carried out. I think that's just the bare minimum, but hugely important. And it seems as though that will be the case. It's great what Biden's done so far. I mean, he's only been in office a couple of days and he's repealed many of the anti-ideas, values, policies that Trump signed into law or that Trump initiated. But I think he has to go further and I, I hope he will. And I think he will. He has to go further and he himself has to make more change and he has to advocate for more progressive change that goes beyond just undoing what Trump did. I see some of you nodding. What do you want him to do? What are the policy proposals that you hope to see from the Biden team to advance the ideas agenda and the agenda of multiculturalism and acceptance more broadly? I don't expect to see policing reform in the next four years, although I wish I would. I mean, I understand Biden might have more pressing crises right now, or at least you know, that's how he, he might view them. But I think that's one of the issues that's really motivating Democratic voters at the moment. So I would hope there would be some sort of action to reevaluate policing in whatever way the Biden administration could do that. What do we want Joe Biden to do? Well, you know, Joe Biden doesn't really have much weight behind him besides the fact that he's the president and he can push through legislation, which sounds pretty big, but it, it's it's not because I think what ideas fundamentally needs to establish its values uh, in in the United States is a massive cultural shift, uh, a cultural shift towards acceptance, um, rejection of xenophobia, rejection of this pathological nationalism. And I think 
that is not within the purview of a president to do. And I think it's what what we really need to to cement those ideas is in time. It needs you know public awareness, and a lot of these core beliefs are so deeply rooted in people, um, and 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 they exist in such enclaves, like in the deep south, for example. I just don't see how a president could change the mind of half the country. I think Jacob raises a really important point. That being that a lot of people are talking about Biden undoing everything that Trump did. But I think we have to all keep in mind that we're not aiming to go back to what it, what the country was like before Trump's presidency. But we are dealing with an entirely new set of circumstances and a nation that is divided completely differently and is just different than it was four years ago. And we can't try and undo I mean, we we should undo laws past Trump, but I don't think the aim is to undo and pretend that Trump never happened. I think it's how we move forward and how we recover. So if no one's going to take our friend Jacob to task on this one, I regret that I'm going to do so. I have a hard time swallowing the notion that the President of the United States lacks the capacity to fundamentally change the dialogue when it comes to issues of multiculturalism, empathy, and diversity. In fact, if the last four years taught us anything, it's that the President of the United States has an astounding amount of power to change the dialogue. And while I would agree that it is much harder to re-erect guardrails than it is to tear them down, and that it does take longer to construct than to destroy, we could look to the Trump administration as a lesson in how powerful the president is. And while I don't know that I want to be the voice of pie-eyed optimism, surely it's the case that Biden and his team can fundamentally change the dialogue. I think all Americans want to reestablish a sense of unity and a sense of common identity. And I think that if we look at Biden's cabinet and the diversity of his cabinet, whether it's Lloyd Austin at defense or Deb Haaland at the interior, you know, Gina Raimondo at, at, at commerce and, you know, Xavier Beccaria, um, we could go on and on. We have the most diverse cabinet in American history, which, yeah, it's symbolic politics. And there are critics on the right who call it tokenism, but a cabinet that represents American diversity, a cabinet that celebrates American diversity, a president who can, you know, Bella, you were talking about Biden's goals of focusing on the pandemic, the economy, justice, and commerce as the big four, or a climate rather as the big four. You know, when we're talking about the economy, the people who are most hard hit by the economy are people of color. We're talking about the pandemic. It's communities of color who are most hard hit. When we're talking about climate problems, we're talking about communities of color who are most hard hit. So it seems to me that there's a path. In fact, there are several paths for the Biden team to walk down. And Jacob, you don't like what I'm doing here, and I don't blame you. So I'll give you a chance to retort, and then Hannah Cook. What you were implying is that I was saying that the presidential office does not have the power to change people's minds. And then you cited four years of Trump to dispute that. Uh, what I'm saying is Joe Biden does not have the strength to change Americans' minds um, because Joe Biden cannot be the great compromiser who reaches out across the aisle and also be the radical culture warrior. That's I don't think that is a possible combination. Someone like Bernie Sanders could. Obviously, there's other problematic effects. You know, He would cement the split in America between left and right and all that. So I think it's good that we have Joe Biden in there to compromise. But I think the idea that you know someone who is already st- – like who's built his campaign on 
not necessarily kowtowing, but uh, extending an olive branch to his political enemies, um, people who have for the last four years, as you yourself mentioned, um, sort of been deepening the cultural divides in America. The idea that that person can be the, both the the great compromiser as well as the, the person who to um, shift cultural sentiments in America to such a degree that the country is united behind the values of ideas. I think those two are not compatible. So that's strictly speaking, I'm not talking about the presidential office. I uh, support Kennedy and, and, and Johnson and all the other people you cited um, as that they shift a discourse, of course, I, but I think Joe Biden can't do it. Not because I think that's not necessarily a weakness, but I think that is definitely you know something that needs to be taken into account when you have someone who's built their career on compromise. So your argument's getting better. I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. Even armed with both houses of Congress, you still think that Biden faces an impossible climb? Yeah, because the battle we're waging is not legislative. The battle we're waging is cultural. And I don't, I think the houses, I mean, they're even less of like people to the American people than uh, than the president is. There's a couple senators you can like listen in your head, but to, to change fundamental discourse in America, like we, we need to have public figures come out with this and it's it takes time and stuff. You can't just push through legislation that changes people's mind. That's not how it works. You can have all the legislative houses you want on your side. Yeah, I was also going to disagree with something you said, Mr. Lazar, because I think Trump stands out when it comes to influencing culture because he spoke to an awakened and somewhat empowered this group of people whose views hadn't been expressed in the manner in which he did much in politics before, to my knowledge. And that's where I think Biden won't be able to have that influence because his more moderate and centrist views aren't as new and as outrageous and outlandish as the ones Trump had. And so I think it's going to be quite difficult for him to kind of appease and kind of get rid of this this Trumpism and these Trumpies who've who've now just kind of awoken, and I don't think they're going to stop anytime soon. You might very well be right. I wonder how you all react to Biden's super diverse cabinet that I mentioned. It's been the subject of some discussion. Are you all enthusiastic about it, or does it just strike you as symbolic politics? There's not a lot of there, there. To me, it doesn't matter if it's symbolic politics. Because I think it's extremely important and impressive, and I think it really signifies the beginning of a new American chapter. Yeah, I would agree. I think it for sure is a lot of symbolic or symbolism in it. But like Bella said, I think either way, he's appointed some very, very competent politicians. And I'm very excited to see what they do and maybe bring a more progressive edge to his centrist views. You know, I think as long as the people who he appoints as as cabinet members are qualified, it is his responsibility as someone who supports diversity and equality of the sexes and opportunity for, for everyone in America. I think it's essential, actually, that that he that he appoints a diverse cabinet. And I think Bella said this already, but regardless of whether it's a symbol, it's an important symbol and it's a message that's worth sending. And I think a lot of people knew that he chose Kamala Harris partially because she isn't white and because she's a woman, not just for votes though, because he believes that it's important 
I think. And I don't think it's we don't I don't think we need to be cynical about diversity just because. Jacob, while ethno religiously and racially diverse, while there are more women and more LGBTQ plus people in the Biden cabinet, the Biden cabinet is not as ideologically diverse as some might hope, perhaps as you might hope. Thoughts? Uh, ideological diversity is one of the, I think, most important things for functioning democracy. This is why I'm such a fan of the German system. We have a bunch of ideologies in the Bundestag. They debate, they do their thing. Uh, I think that's sometimes lacking in America. That being said, however, I do think right now, uh, maybe we should be okay with having like a unified democratic voice in the in uh, in legislative houses there is obviously still going to be internal debate within the party however yeah i can definitely see a utilitarian approach to joe biden's idea of having one making the statement of having a, a, a diverse cabinet and and all that but two also sort of having less just less struggle because we we just need to get stuff done right now. If there is ever a time uh, for getting stuff done, it is now. So the Biden cabinet is diverse. And as Jacob said, we have some highly competent, experienced, mostly centrist cabinet officials. And I wonder what policy proposals each of you would like to see the Biden administration advance to help to push forward our ideas agenda. Lily, is there a specific policy proposal you would like to see the Biden administration push? Yeah, I've actually got two, and they're both related to me. I think it's important that he forgive a lot of student loan debt in the United States because it's it's a mounting problem for any working class or middle class even Americans who are trying to just live a normal life that they are in such extreme and almost unpayable debt to the government. You know, we're in Europe, so we know that it's possible to either lower college tuition or to forgive debt. And I think it wouldn't be so hard for Biden to get done. So I think it's it's a reasonable policy proposal. The other thing, I hope that Biden raises the minimum wage or Congress under the Biden administration, because I will also probably be working a minimum wage job in college. Two stellar proposals. Lily, Jacob? Yeah, uh, I have one. Uh, This might uh, out me as leaning towards another presidential candidate, but I would like to see a UBI program, a universal basic uh, income program, be established under the Biden administration. And I think this ties to the ideas mission more than one might think, because giving marginalized communities who often are plagued by poverty the ability to, uh, to... really participate in the free market and really get a share of the American economy, I think would do great, not only for the economy, um, because it would it would stimulate that as well, but also just out of the means for empathy to get people lifted out of poverty, especially during COVID. Times are difficult. Small businesses are struggling. Um, people are being unemployed at previously unfathomable rates. I think so, uh, such a policy would be really helpful. And the last president to seriously consider it was your favorite president, Richard Nixon. So, so much that you and Richard Milhouse Nixon have ideologically aligned. I'd like to see policy proposals to increase wildlife reservation and nature protection specific to maybe um, seismic blasting in the ocean, which um, is quite detrimental to marine 
biology and marine life, and also some more pro-choice policy and to undo some of the dialogue that Trump started regarding defunding Planned Parenthood and other organizations like that. For me, that played a lot into the E of our mission, into the empathy and into caring for our environment and our climate and our wildlife. I think Trump um, damaged it and it went unnoticed because of the many other things that he he damaged. But I think it plays into our ideas mission because you want to you want to help i mean it seems when i say you want to help animals and you want to help nature that seems a little weird but you want to help protect our environment and our world especially those that can't really speak up for themselves thanks hannah cook and thanks for being our our lorax bella i had similar ideas along the lines of things that have been said Additionally, criminal justice reform in the United States, I think Lily sort of touched on it earlier this episode. I can only emphasize the importance of all the issues that were raised. I think that they're not as far-fetched as we right now feel they are just because of the last four years and what we've been through. I think they're realistic goals, and I think we should expect them in the next four years. There are opportunities abound in the crises that we face. And let us hope that the Biden administration will listen to you and people like you. I listen to you. I care about you. I'm crazy about you all. So much so that I'd like to offer each of you a chance to recommend to our audience something that speaks to the idea's mission Ideally, this is something they get their hands on or lay their eyes on where they're all locked down in Berlin. So each of you, one at a time, I'll link to your endorsements on the show page. Uh, Jacob, which Nixonian policy would you like to endorse other than the family assistance program? My endorsement uh, this week is a bit of a risky endorsement because I actually haven't finished watching the show yet. In fact, I'm not even that deep into it, but it looks promising. Um, it's a Netflix show called La Revolution, um, and it's it's kind of absurd. So it, it, it plays during the time of the French Revolution, um, but it's also like a supernatural horror thriller with like aristocrat zombies and stuff, um, which is like right up my alley. It does sort of tie to history in the sense that, you know, you have historical characters like uh, Dr. Guillotine and it's the historical setting and there's a beautifully animated uh, old city of Paris and it's also a really entertaining show so if you want to watch that with me do so uh, and if it's if it gets bad in the last episodes I'll apologize next episode all right Jacob thank you Bella you got an endorsement for us something I enjoyed today was a very quick Washington Post article that listed 50 things that have improved since Biden was inaugurated. And it's uplifting, it's quick, and I think it puts all of us in a good mood. All right, we'll link to it in the show notes. Han-na-na-na-na. My endorsement today is a bit of a self-promo for Ideas, but it's our Ideas playlist called Ideas Tunes for Change on Spotify, which is really, really great, and which members of the Ideas Club all added to. So it's kind of a collaborative playlist and specifically one song titled Mars by the artist Youngblood. 
um, I think is something that people should listen to. It's about um, this artist. He wrote it after interacting with this teenage transgender girl whose mom didn't accept her and who had a really hard time finding her way um, after she came out. And it's a very emotional song for me personally, and I very much enjoy it. So yeah, that would be my endorsement. Thank you. And last, but certainly not least, Lily. Maybe a little bit least this time. Um, I don't have a very specific recommendation because I was trying to think of a specific book name and I couldn't. But I want to recommend reading some American history. I know it doesn't sound that fun necessarily. I'm sorry, Mr. Lazar. But actually, I found it really useful and interesting when we were watching the inauguration to understand, you know, the political history uh, and the traditions, which, I mean, Biden was going through on the day, but also that govern the process of peaceful transfer of power and the precedence of presidential terms and things like that. And I think it's missing in a lot of Americans and everyone's view of history, um, things like tradition and precedent. And it can be really interesting to learn about. So I would suggest you read something about the founders, especially if you like Hamilton, if you like that kind of thing. You know, you might enjoy actual historical fact instead of just fiction. And with that, I bid you all farewell. I bid our listeners farewell on behalf of the group. You can find us for now at jfksideas at wixsite.com. Our journals are there. Once again, I implore you to subscribe, leave a like, offer a comment, uh, wherever you get podcasts. And if you like what we're doing here, please, pretty please, with sugar on top, share ideas with your people. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.